Welcome everyone to the Take Control of Your Health podcast. This is Dr. Mercola bringing you the latest cutting edge interviews to help you achieve optimal health. You can receive more information by subscribing to my free daily newsletter at Mercola.com. Because you won't find us on Google or Facebook, we respect your privacy and will continue to fight the Silicon Valley censorship. Thank you so much for listening. So let's get started with this week's latest program to help you and your family take control of your health. Welcome everyone, it's Dr. Mercola helping you take control of your health. And today we are going to talk with Alex Tarnova and you probably have never heard of him, most people haven't, but he's the genius behind making molecular hydrogen, my absolute favorite supplement, widely available and effective to everyone. So welcome and thank you for joining us today, Alex. No problem, glad to be here. Yeah, so we, we, I met you through Tyler LeBaron, who is the, we both admire and respect for his genius in this area and leadership. Uh, and, uh, but that was virtually, and I actually met you in person at Bulletproof in October of 2017. So, just about, yeah, just a little over two years ago now. Uh, and I uh, was impressed uh, on what you're able to do. So, for those, but, you know, obviously anyone watching here hasn't had that opportunity, so I'd like you to provide us what your background is and how the heck you got interested in this obscure topic of making molecular hydrogen so widely available. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll cut it a little bit short because it's a pretty long story, but um, I, I basically got pretty sick. You know, I, I did get really, really sick. Um, I was, uh, I, I had another business that allowed me a lot of freedom for athletics and exercise. And I was training six to eight hours a day. Um, I was training in various martial arts and CrossFit. Um, and I got really sick. It, it uh, materialized in sudden onset narcolepsy. I had central nervous system shut down. Um, my heavy lifts weren't altered, but I couldn't jump on a plate. Whereas a couple weeks before I had a 54 inch plyometric jump. Um, I was sleeping 16 to 18 hours a day. I'd fall asleep in a seat if I, I sat down for about a minute. Uh, my blood work was bizarre. Uh, I forget what the measurements is. Is it, you know, nanograms of deciliter or something? But my C-reactive proteins were at 34. Okay. Yeah. Supposed to be between one to three. Um, well, actually, it should be below one. So yeah. like 0.7, 0.3. So you're only about 100 times higher than ideal. But, but even um, if, if uh, I think uh, even most infections will, will get you just over one to three is what I recall my, my uh, um, GP yeah. told me. So it was, it was bizarre. Um, and despite I was eating about, you know, six to 8,000 calories a day at that point because I was training. Wow. So you had a lot of inflammation going on. Yeah. Well, and, and but I was... Um, Iron deficient and anemic, despite eating a lot of red meat and a lot of green vegetables. Wow. So it lasted for weeks. A um, couple of blood tests a week. They couldn't figure it out. My best friend had been training for a you know triathlon at the time, and it ravaged him, but in a completely different outcome. He developed pneumonia, and he had missed a few weeks of work. He was hospitalized a couple of times. Uh, 
a, a super thick guy. Um, so it was really bizarre. And when the dust settled, uh, my shoulder was frozen. You know, all, you know, the inflammation, the narcolepsy, the excess sleeping just went away. But I had a frozen left shoulder and I basically had arthritis in like eight spots overnight. And at that time, hydrogen was, you know, already on my radar. So I bought a machine for like five grand. Uh, I went on this a is, This was probably uh, an alkaline water machine, I'm assuming, is, that made moleculizers as an artifact of producing alkaline water. Yeah, it, exactly. So they, they were marketing the hydrogen, you know, pretty aggressively. Um, hydrogen had been on my radar for a couple of years. I said, might as well. I went on a thousand milligrams of naproxen a day, um, prescription based, and uh, got a couple um, cortisone injections in my shoulder. Uh, well, I developed multiple ulcers from the naproxen, you know, inside six months type deal. Um, and my shoulder completely froze. Um, Did they ever figure out what was causing all this inflammation? Was it just the over-exercising? I don't think so, right? I, I didn't. What was it? At first, they were like, you know, because I had some different, they, they thought maybe it was that, but no, I stopped training and it didn't go away. And it something very different happened to my best friend and my roommate at the time. Um, he developed pneumonia, so they thought it was some sort of virus. They just couldn't figure mm. out. Um, so, yeah, it, it never got figured out, but um, it, it left me with all this arthritis, osteoarthritis, and, and joint degradation. And um, when I went back to PubMed and I was just looking, 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 um, anything to kind of regulate the inflammatory response uh, because I couldn't take NSAIDs anymore. And I didn't want to keep, you know, the last cortisone injection I did only released my shoulder for about six days. So I was in a sling for, I think, three days, and then I, I felt better for six. So it just wasn't worth continuing to do that. I wasn't getting a lot of lead time after doing them. Um, so hydrogen kept popping up more and more and more. And um, that really frustrated me because my hydrogen water machine wasn't having any benefit. But it just, how do I even know there's hydrogen in here? So... I tested it and there was no hydrogen. I then took the machine in for a, a deep clean because I was told maybe it's calcified. Well, before, before we go there, I, I just want to go more into your background because a lot of people will have debilitating uh, health challenges that you just described, but very few of them are going to go into PubMed, review the literature and understand the literature and then take implementation on that so you why don't you tell us a little bit about your background scientific background because you're a pretty astute reviewer of the literature yeah i mean so i, I don't have any um, formal education but um i probably read at least eight hours a day uh, i innovated on another device previously with a, a former partner uh, we modified uh the, uh, these breathalyzer vending machines um, to use a platinum fuel cell the same that uh, um, is police grade and, and uh, have the engineers switch them so they can be disposable instead of needing to get taken in for calibration. Disposing is cheaper than calibration. Um, but uh, all my past businesses, um, and I've kind of been self-employed since I was a teenager really, um, have left me a lot of free time. And I've just read, read, read my entire life. I'm just a very curious person. 
um, even now reviewing the literature, I, I'm writing a, a systematic review on the uh, hydrogen and metabolic conditions with a professor that encouraged me uh, to write it with him and that he'd write it with me and make sure I'm doing everything properly at a, a major North American university. Um, so just this last weekend alone, I spent over 30 hours from you know, Friday to, to Sunday um, going through the actual like data and doing cross analysis. So that's just kind of what makes me pick. You know, yeah, and that, that, that's an unusual characteristic, but it's actually what's required if you're going to make innovations to go ahead. I mean, you can get a degree, you can get multiple PhDs, but ultimately you need to be a perpetual student and be diligent and continue to review the literature and understand what these new innovations are because science marches on. And if you don't keep current, you're going to fall behind. Exactly. That's why when you rewatch a, a movie after 10 years or reread a good book, you might have a completely different perspective on what you watched or what you wrote based on the knowledge you have. Um, also important, um, I've surrounded myself with a lot of good people. My founding partner is a PhD medicinal chemist. Um, I had him review all my early work to make sure I was making, wasn't making any critical errors. And I used a bit of a, a Ray Kurzweilian um, strategy when I was developing the tablets. I, I found experts, I found engineers, I found pharmaceutical formulation firms that I contracted and physicists and chemists and biochemists. And um, I tasked myself with learning enough in every area that they could simplify and only think about what concerns them. Um, because, and, and same thing with manufacturing, I, I do the same because everyone will overweigh what their challenge is on, on their keyhole view. Um, and then it makes communication very hard, right? Like the physicist might not consider uh, mm -hmm. the chemist who might not consider what you need to do to, to make millions of tablets yeah. rather than one, right? So that's kind of what I did. I just quarterbacked the whole thing. I okay. learned in, in right. everything. So now we've got we've got your history, and I interrupted you in the process of describing what you're doing for the water machine. But I want to insert another piece of information here that I neglected to mention initially: is that you are the inventor, the original developer of the molecular hydrogen tablet. You're the genius who put this thing together. Um, many people tried and failed, including many large companies, but you succeeded. Eventually, I failed a couple thousand times. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. I get it, son, you know, but but eventually you succeeded and you did it where no other no other company or individual is able to do it. So you have a you've got a really exciting journey to tell, and I interrupted you right as you were starting to tell it, but I wanted to pro provide a broader framework so people could put it in proper perspective. So you had and maybe like, before you start diving deep into the story, is just let us know about these molecular hydrogen generators or water generators. And, and that was really the primary and only way that you could get the molecular hydrogen initially, at least commercial, conventionally available. Yeah. And then, and then, then, then pick up the story there, okay? Yeah. So uh, one of the big concerns about the, these, um, you know, water ionizers that, that purport to make hydrogen is um, they don't work if you don't have TDS in, in the water. For conductivity, so they won't dissolve hydrogen. But if you do, yeah, TDS is total dissolved solids, things like minerals. So yeah. um, reverse osmosis or distilled water wouldn't work. It, yeah, exactly. It won't in, in these ionizer devices. Now, if you do have 
TDS than the, the, the plates that, that are used to split the water, they start calcifying, you know, getting a, a mineral layer over the plates. Now what ends up happening is they'll still make hydrogen, but it doesn't dissolve because the bubbles are too big, right? So it'll still make the same amount of hydrogen, but it's just in and out, right? It doesn't dissolve in the water. And, you know, in, in a lab, when they're using pure gas to dissolve through a beaker, it might take half an hour of bubbling, liters and liters of hydrogen to even get to 1.6 ppm, right? To get enough to dissolve it. But the smaller and bubbles you go, um, the easier it is to dissolve. And what I figured out is when you even go into the low nano range, you can quasi dissolve the, this cloud of gas that, that neither fully dissolves without accompanying pressure, but it, it also doesn't escape. So you can get, you know, in a half a liter, you know, eight to 10 ppm, right? Instead of the, the 0.1 that a lot of these ionizers are getting. And, and 0 0.1, literally almost a hundred times lower. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, and this is critical because uh, a, a lot of people look at, at the rodent research and they fail to properly convert and, and even researchers fail to properly convert just how much more hydrogen mice are consuming, you know, per body weight than, than humans. Because when, when you take a 25 gram mouse and you convert it to an 80 kilogram person, so um, that's 176 pounds for American mm -hmm. viewers, that, that's the average weight of an American, uh, that person would need to drink the equivalent of 12.8 liters of water a day to get the same amount that that mouse drinks. So concentration is critical because you, you need to raise your cellular concentration to hydrogen. And if you're only drinking half a liter or a liter a day, you need to up the concentration to get that proper dosage. And that's not even going in to, to looking at uh, a lot of other molecules. Um, you need about a, a, the rule of thumb in pharmacology is you need about a 12x dose in humans as mice. Right, so a lot of and that's a that's a good piece of information, especially for anyone who's a biohacker out there, because and, and longevity research, because there's so many of the studies that's they are only done on mice or rodents, and to, so that thank you for that uh, uh, translation variable or constant. <laughs> so about twelve times. It's why a lot of molecules out there, um, you know, they dose it exactly what would be in a mouse, like. Um, you know, cyanidin-3 um, glucoside um, has shown really good brown adipose tissue activation, but it, it's, you'd need grams a day in a person. You know, as hypothesized to cure obesity in a mice, mouse, you'd need something like 34 grams in a human person per day. And, and that's even ignoring the differences in bioenergetics between mice and, and humans. Sure. Possibly the farthest, you know, away that we are from mice. Um, well, that would cost you know, $1,000 a month, right? If you're buying just the powder wholesale. So it's just crazy, like, you know, not feasible. And, and even, you know, with, with uh, you know, the, the NAD plus precursors, I, I think most of them would need like to translate from the rodent literature, like two grams a day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to go down that path because I love that, but, but we've got so much to talk about hydrogen now. So uh, why don't you continue the story and maybe even put a, so tell us about the differences between drinking this low, do, low, low concentration hydrogen water 
uh, as opposed to taking these higher doses. And the way the way that hydrogen works, because it's, it appears that it's best taken cyclically or pulsed, that if you take it continuously, the, the effect seems to dissipate or actually not be there at all. Exactly. We're producing upwards of 10 liters of hydrogen gas a day through, you know, bacteria breaking down carbohydrates, right, um, through our digestive system. So how can taking such a small amount of hydrogen gas uh, improve things? And when you look, and when you look um, at, 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 you know, cellular response to the hydrogen versus inhalation, and it, or hydrogen, um, drinking hydrogen water, inhalation, and versus what, what constant is, um, it, it can double, you know, cellular concentration, drinking a lot of hydrogen water um, for about a five minute peak. And that's when you see all these changes in cell signal and gene expression. So most of what hydrogen does is indirect response from altered cell signaling and, you know, changes in gene expression. And uh, we, we seem to need that, that pulsed dose to, to alter all these things. Um, and in uh, some of the basic science of the, the um, rodent studies and in vitro data, um, when they've given continuous gas administration to just constantly raise the cellular concentration, it's had no benefit, even at a much higher dose. Right? Um, whereas a pulse effect has worked. So yeah. again, you're drinking. That, that's, and that's not intuitive. I mean, you wouldn't think that'd be the case. So this is really an important distinction to understand. Yeah. It, 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 clearly is. And I mean, um, I, I just uh, read a study that just actually came out two days ago. Um, and they were trying to replicate um, the, the lowered submaximal heart rate study that used the tablets. That was a 10 milligram dosage of hydrogen before exercise. Well, they used the water ionizer, measured it with a, a trust flex meter that actually doesn't measure hydrogen and is skewed by pH. So participants were getting 0 0.6 milligrams of hydrogen. Right, um, opposed to to ten, so a massive difference. You know, one seventeenth the amount of hydrogen, and that is ignoring the inaccuracy of the device that they use. It could have actually been zero point three milligrams, right, one thirtieth or, or less. Um, well, they they found that in the study, and no markers changed, and I wouldn't expect them to, right. Um, you know, you, you see, uh, again, our, our um, study on MAFLD, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, when you extrapolate what worked and what didn't work, um, Tyler LeBaron was part of a really good study on MAFLD in mice, where 0 0.3 ppm had no effect, but 0 0.8 ppm had a prominent effect. When you do the conversion to one liter a day, a human would need about 10 milligrams of hydrogen to see the results if, if it's a direct comparison. Um, okay, well, let's just stop here. So, because there's a little bit of confusion because you're giving us an actual quantity, 10 milligrams, but, but normally we look at uh, hydrogen as parts per million. So what does the 10 milligrams convert to in parts per million? And Depends on how much water it's in. Um, so, Basically, parts per million is, is a concentration, and you know um, the milligram would be the dosage. And it, mm -hmm. it's you know what the dosage you're getting acutely is. So, with the tablets, we tend to get eight to ten ppm, which translates to milligrams per liter. 
right? So if you took a liter of that concentration, you would get eight to 10 milligrams. If, if you use two tablets, right? Because they're designed for about half a liter. Right? Okay. So, so two tablets per half a liter should give you that. In, one in, tablet per half a liter will give you. Well, one tablet, okay, so you do two tablets and so you do, a, you do, a, do a whole liter at once or you would do a half a liter twice a day? They, they've done it twice a day. I find it more effective to do it at once, but a lot of people can't drink that much water. Um, yeah. And that's why we also need to, to consider these things because um, the mice in these studies are, are just drinking water all day long. Yeah, well, it's totally different. Compared to a human, a human should get, you know, um, the average woman about 2.7 liters of water a day, the average man 3.7 liters a day for 3.2 average. Uh, so a, a mouse would drink about four times more, um, exactly four times more than the average person. But most people aren't drinking that much, right? Yeah. They're certainly not drinking hydrogen water for all their water consumption. So, so to, just an important tangent is a question I had for you. So if you put the tablets in, wasn't a half a liter of water, say so you put those two tablets in, well, the, it's ideally it's one tablet is supposed to go in a half a liter of water. So what if you put the two tablets in a half a liter of water, would you still get the same amount or no, because you can't dissolve it yeah, you're at a higher concentration? A higher concentration, but a lower dose than if you'd done them separately, because okay. just, genetics aren't linear. Um, when I when I put uh, two, you know, in half a liter opposed to one, I tend to measure about, you know, fifteen, maybe sixteen ppm. Okay, so pretty close to what you would, but yeah, I mean, it's you get about fifty percent more instead of a doubling effect. Okay, right by by you know doubling it in. So it's what I tend to do when I take the water because I want that higher pulse. Mm -hmm. right? So you're doing it once a day. That's, that's what I conclude too. Once a day is a little bit more effective because you get that strong pulse rather than. Exactly. And I, I get a pick me up, you know, like yeah. um, it works better for me than caffeine. Um, I'm a responder, um, which is uh, again, something really interesting. We're looking through the literature is um, responders versus non-responders and even some of the raw data that some of the professors have sent me that they're, they're pretty clearly looks to be responders to H2 and non-responders, but the non-responders are still getting positive effects, just not as prominently. The responders in, in some of these studies, the metabolic studies, they're having crazy benefits, right? But we see that, you know, and, and that's the way everything is going. Even the drug industry is going to look for, for what, what is your genotype, right? Are you going to respond to this? Aren't you going to respond to this? And I, I think we're going to be having to reevaluate a lot of what is out there currently as we're getting bat better at genetic testing, right? To know, should this be used for this person? So why don't, you know, we got, a, we got a tangent, admittedly an important one, but we still never finish your story about breaking down this uh, ionizing water machine and, and then you eventually developing the tablets. What I... Um, tested this ionizer, it was actually getting uh, 0.03. No, virtually nothing. <laughs> virtually nothing, right? So I, I started, you know, reading a lot of the studies and um, they were using magnesium in, in different ways. And I tried some magnesium sticks and it wasn't working. I was concerned about getting too much magnesium too. Um, I just started uh, looking to make, you know, powders and, you know, tablets and started pressing into these tablets and I started you know at first I you know the magnesiums are really hard to get I, I did you know go through the DOD and the state department and you know you have to be compliant in, in 
seven or eight different, you know, government agencies to use the magnesium. And we were able to over a, you know, this is, this is, this is metallic magnesium. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, what is, what is metallic magnesium? So for those who are uh, familiar with it element. So usually when you're buying a magnesium, it's a salt, it, it's combined, you know, with, you know, um, uh, you know, different molecule. So this is, is you know, reactive. It's non-ionic elemental magnesium. Um, it's what is used in fireworks, and it's what is used in a lot of explosives. It burns really hot. It's the white in fireworks. It, it's very hazardous to handle in, in production. We have very, very controlled production, uh, but it's very safe in end tablet. So our end tablet is not hazmat, it's not explosive, it's not flammable, but it will split the hydrogen off your water. Um, and, he, and it's sort of an aside, the tablet you developed for us, which took a few years, is actually not only not hazardous and hazmat, but it's grass, generally recognized as safe. It's the only, the first one to ever do that. It's a new dietary ingredient. So it's the same submission, but in 2016, they, they changed it from a grass submission to an NDI before supplements mm -hmm. were either way and, and the FDA just kind of shuffled things and said supplements have to do an NDI process now and foods have to do a grass process. So we're, um, we're new dietary ingredient status, so we got no objection from the FDA. We submitted, you know, dozens of pages of organic chemistry, all of our manufacturing information, everything we do, our safety data, uh, you know, chemical analysis that we've done, uh, just it was a massive submission and uh yeah they turned around and said basically looks good because the yeah. FDA never approve supplements but they fail to reject supplements and it's very important to get an NDI for compliance because now a drug company can't call hydrogen medicine right mm -hmm. it has to add another molecule along with it to call it a drug so the tablets will always be protected so they'll always be free to consumers Right. Yeah, which means a lower cost to them. And uh, we had wanted to sell molecular hydrogen years ago, but because this substantiation hadn't been done yet uh, and have approval from the FDA, we chose not to do it until it was completed. Absolutely. And I mean, we, we shored everything up. Like um, we're using a very special pharmaceutical grade of magnesium that, that's ground to very specific um, ways for us to get the nanobubbles that we're doing. Um, when I first started tinkering around, you know, I, I had some of it tested and I was getting magnesium in from like, you know, Russia and like China that was being mislabeled and said to me because it was, you know, I later found out illegal for export from both places. I mean, it's heavily controlled in the U.S. too to ship it. I mean, just to get it up to, to you know, Canada, um, it took about a eight month process with the State Department with, you know, background checks and, you know, facility checks and in-person interviews and everything, um, you know, to make sure I had a legitimate purpose for this stuff. Well, you know, a lot of other people are trying to use it and they're, they're bringing this stuff in from, you know, China, you know, and various places or... And now th these other people, these are other people who are manufacturing hydrogen tablets? Um, yeah, I mean, um, most of them are going under, it, it seems like, right? Because their product's inferior. Um, it, it's super dangerous, it's hard to do. There was another guy making tablets that uh, he didn't go down any of these processes. Um, I, I don't know the accuracy of this, but I've been told from people close to him that he was buying from a, a fireworks reseller, you know, buying it. So 
I saw one COA of his where it was not compliant in lead content. Yes, yeah, and COA is certificate of analysis. Yeah. So um, we we had to show everything. I mean, we're we're compliant, you know, in our heavy metals. Like, it's something like you'd need sixteen tablets a day to hit the threshold for California Prop sixty five, which is about ten times more strict than the pharmaceutical you know, regulations on it, which is even several times more strict than supplement regulations. So we have such low levels of contaminants, you know, um, in our, our product. It's yeah. And there's like, for, I guess there may be some never say never, but there's a pretty rare indication for anyone to ever go to 16 tablets a day. I mean, that's just, no. And again, that, that just would come with a warning in California. Yeah. It's still something like one tenth as low as what's allowed in, you know, pharmaceuticals, which is yeah. lower than what's allowed in supplements. So we're, you know, for supplement regulations, I, th I think you could take something like a couple hundred tablets a day. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> but the FDA, it's just such low amounts. Um, but we went to great lengths to ensure purity on everything and to ensure the framework was in place before we started doing everything, which again is why, you know, we're pursuing so much research with public teams under no publication agreement. Um, we have five publications already in three years. We have two under review. Um, we have seven more that are underway and six in the planning stage that are finishing up their, you know, ethics approvals and protocols. And we have um, four, you know, pretty prominent universities conducting rodent trials using our tablets. So in total, we're now working with um, nine or ten public universities around the world to further the research and assist in any way we can because we want to know more about, you know, how it works, what dose should be used, you know, when it should be taken. Um, and and the, the data is starting to come out. Trends are definitely emerging. That, you know, higher dose, higher concentration, and an intermittent pulse seems to be the best for humans. So let's go back to the transition or your journey of health recovery and tell us what you did to finally actually restore your health and how you did it with molecular hydrogen. Yeah, so I mean, making the tablets, um, I, I started drinking them. Um, it was hard to get them to, to be made properly, but I was getting something like three ppm and half a liter back there, you know, at my first hand pressed tablets, and my shoulder completely unfroze. It just was, you know, crazy, and my hip did too, right? Um, I went from, you know, um, training in jujitsu a lot, I was able to, you know, touch my ankle to my face with ease to I couldn't go in a, you know, butterfly position on the ground, you know, in a matter of a couple months, because arthritis in my hip seized everything up. So it loosened up my hip, it loosened up my shoulder, and I just did a, a couple controls. I stopped taking the, the relatively high-dose hydrogen water, and I was drinking about four liters of hydrogen water a day. And how, how, were you, how were you drinking it continuously, or was you, were you pulsing it back then? I, I was drinking it three times a, a day, I think, um, if my memory serves. I think, um, yeah, I think I was... No, I think I was drinking three liters. I think I was drinking um, a liter in the morning, a liter mid-afternoon, and a liter before bed. Right? So I had these thermoses. I was, you know, and then I went in and I started getting a little bit more hardcore and I started getting the, 
you know, um, the, the pressure up and I was getting close to five PPM and drinking this amount, but I was needing to um, put the thermostat in, you know, vice grips to remove the caps because they were getting knocked off the threads. Um, so I, I was you know, actually, uh, and that was my first run in with, okay, I gotta be, you know, have safety control here because one of my oh. thermos blew up in my fridge. Yeah, let's go into that because this molecular hydrogen actually converts to a gas, which increases the pressure. But also, the reason you had that cap on there, as I understand, the first tablets, and many, in fact, maybe most of the tablets out there, re require that you do it in a closed container, otherwise the gas will escape. And then you develop something that doesn't require that. So why don't you provide that distinction? Uh, absolutely, and really, what sets us apart, and that's the basis of you know most of our IP and what we've done. Um, and it was an accident. You know, we, we didn't do it on purpose. It was actually, we spent three months trying to make it not happen because our initial goal was, you know, to get three to four PPM in half a liter in under five minutes in a sealed container. And so we were using the same principles to do this um, as well as we ended up using the open cup. But uh, what was happening is every time we'd unseal in these fast reacting tablets, um, the water would wipe and, and this would test very high, then it would you know, return down very quickly and uh, the half-life didn't make any sense. And you know, we're beating our heads against the wall. Um, and, and after a few months, you know, it, it just uh, it dawned on me, why are we fighting this? We're getting higher levels you know, by doing this then we were aiming for for saturated. I wonder what the results are. I wonder how we would do in an open cup. Um, so that it was higher. I was in, you know, under two minutes at that time. Um, and it was just, a, it's, it's a quote I, I really like from Isaac Asimov that um, most people think, you know, discoveries in science are met with, you know, Eureka, I've done it, but New exciting discoveries often are just, huh, that's funny. You know, something that makes sense, right? So it really did make sense. And then finally, when we do it in the open cup, you know, and we're replicating it over and over again, it still didn't make sense. So I contacted, you know, Dr. LeBaron, and I said what we're working on, and he said, I don't believe you. I'd like, show me. So I put him on, you know. He's, he's, Tyler is the perpetual skeptic, and I love that about him. Yeah. No, it, it was great. And, I mean, I, I'm I'm a you know skeptic by nature too, right? But I'm very easily excited by things. But then I, I try and rein myself in and say, you know, what else could be going on here? And um, you know, Tyler failed to falsify what we were doing. He did multiple tests. He he took them and did testing in Japan and China at different conferences with different apparatuses. He asked me to do some tests, and I did it. Um, I did the same thing with uh, Randy Sharp, who runs H2 Sciences, and now is going to be running H2 Analytics, which will, will uh, be granted permission from the International Hydrogen Standards Association um, to to give you know IHSA certified as containing at least a minimum threshold of hydrogen. And he was as or more skeptical than Tyler, but he did all these reports, which now I, I'm. You know, paying him to do new ones, but he did the first ones free because he, he just wanted to falsify what I was doing. But his report 
failed to quantify what we're doing. And now as we're getting more data, there, there's we're doing gas chromatography, we're doing all these different things. Every report, you know, and there's a little bit of variance between the reports, but they're all indicating between, you know, kind of like eight to 11 ppm and half a liter, right? So as more and more- This is with one tablet. With one tablet, yeah. So um, when we kind of figured that out, it, it just changed everything in our R&D, you know, just completely. And luckily our goal was pretty similar. So we didn't have to change a lot, but we did have to go back to basically you know, the, the ground floor to restart. So to get our first tablet, which actually needed to be sealed in a, you know, sealed container. And it was getting about, you know, three PPM and about five to 10 minutes type thing, depending on water source and temperature. Mm -hmm. um, that was 2000 failed formula attempts and 15 failed scale ups, right? We, we got the chemistry to do it right in a hand press tablet in three weeks, you know, my partner, Dr. Holland, uh, that was very, but, and this is where everyone else has been in going from the bench test, you know, pressing a few tablets at once, even a hundred, even a thousand, to being able to make millions, right? So that they're available for consumers. So much changes, you know, and when you start having to, to use different, you know, excipients to, to run properly on machine, it changes the delicate chemistry in, in what's going on, right? Because magnesium doesn't react with water without catalysts. You know, you put magnesium in water, it forms a protective layer of magnesium oxide, which isn't water soluble, and you're going to get no hydrogen. So what we're doing to get the, we're basically using this reaction to happen, but by using all these other recipients that other companies are able to really use all the time in manufacturing, it stops a reaction from happening. It, it cancels out all the, the coaxing we're doing. So that's what took, you know, 2,000 you know, changes in formulation, 15 field scale up attempts to get tablet one. Now, we've now gone through thousands of more adjustments to refine the process, be able to do it easier, be able to scale up, get more hydrogen out of the tablet and have it better you know, in tasting appearance for consumers. So it's been thousands and thousands of adjustments and failures and, and learning from that knowledge. and. A lot of people just aren't that obsessed. You know, even a lot of big companies, they try and do things for a few months project. They might have 10 people working on it for a few months, but uh, this took years of failures, failure, failure, and deep thought from a lot of different people, you know, that, that I was leaning on to get to where we are today. No, that's great. So, and these attempts and multiple thousands of failures all occurred after you received the benefit. So that's what was, I would imagine, was a primary motivation to catalyst for you to continue your endeavors. Exactly. When I saw the benefits, uh, I started making hand pressing tablets and, and giving them to others, uh, family members that had different, you know, ailments and um, friends, you know, especially athletic friends that have, you know, various cares and injuries. And it, it actually, like wildfire. Because people were, were talking about it, and I'm hand pressing these tablets, and I'm getting friends of friends calling me saying, I heard this stuff. <laughs> and so, you know, I just tore this, you please make some for me. So I'm there, you know, I, I destroyed 
my stone table, hammering these single tablets and you know my modified single pill pens that I, I, I made. Um, and then, and these were these were the pills that required a closed container, I would assume, right? Yeah, these were the first ones. So that that was at about three ppm. But people yeah. were consuming two a day in half a liter, so you know they were getting three milligrams. Six. Okay. Yeah. And then is is it true now your company has the only uh, tablet on the market that gets to the eight, nine, ten, eleven yeah. milligrams per liter? Yeah, that's our IP. Nobody comes. No, no other company does it. No, the closest um, there's a company in Japan that uses pressure. Uh, they claim that they can get to seven ppm in half a liter, but it takes about eight hours. <laughs> rather than using magnesium, which you know upwards of ninety percent of North Americans are deficient in, and you know the byproduct is a highly available magnesium, you know source because what happens in our reaction is it leaves free magnesium ions and that's what you want in your body. Yeah. Right? So it's, it's not, a, it's not a soft like magnesium three and eight citrate malate. It is magnesium ions, which is just goes straight into where it's needed. Yeah. The, ul the ultimate. And it's like 80 milligrams per tablets. Yeah. Yeah. And that is real magnesium. So like in magnesium, almost any other salt, you have to do the calculations to figure out what the elemental magnesium is, but this is 80 milligrams elemental. Your body has to work in breaking it apart, and that's why say magnesium oxide is about four percent bioavailable in the average person, but could be zero, especially in the elderly that have compromised, you know, gastric acids. Um, that's because your body has to break apart the oxide from the magnesium. Well, our reaction doesn't; it just leaves the magnesium how you need, right? So that that's a big benefit of ours. This Japanese technology that, you know, I've heard reports it's more like five, you know, but it can get up to seven um, ppm and half a liter. Well, they're using uh, elemental aluminum. <laughs> <laughs> let's put some aluminum ions in your body and let's see what that does for Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So they've, uh, it, it's crazy. And they're running these smear campaigns against magnesium throughout Japan. Oh, <laughs> trying to stop people from using magnesium. They're calling it, you know, dangerous and not sanitary, but they're using aluminum, which just blows me away. Um, but yeah, that's, that's going on there. They're the only ones who get close to us. And it's about, yeah. about that. It's yeah. not a competitor, because how, why would anyone, any rational human being choose to use aluminum over magnesium? That would make, that just doesn't make sense. Cheaper, so, cheaper and less yeah, well, yeah, well, forget the cost. It's just the health benefits we're talking about. And it, uh, the cost isn't really that significant, considering, I mean, you can consider, you can buy hydrogen gas and breathe it, you know, yeah. which is another way, uh, do it under pressure. So many other different ways you can get it. So why don't we take a tangent here and talk about the other ways that people can get the benefits of molecular hydrogen. Your tablet is certainly not the only one out there. I happen to strongly believe that it is the absolute best and finest way to obtain this. And certainly the easiest, most convenient, and probably the most cost effective. So the, to me, there's no other rational solution, but why don't you discuss what else is available, what other people are using? Basically, you know, there, there's some, a lot of clinical trials where they use a saline that's not practical you know, to hook people up to an IV, you know, every day. Um, to inhalation, 
you know, is a popular method. I'm actually, I have been developing an inhalation unit to, to hit specs. Um, one issue with inhalation is, uh, and we need a lot of data on this. The only data we have in one example is, is that you roughly 100 times more hydrogen gas when inhaled to have similar benefits as when dissolved in water. But in the same review, it talks about how different genes respond um, only to water or favorably to gas or seem to respond the same to any administration method. Um, so maybe in one condition you need you know, 10 times more inhaled gas by volume, but in another condition, maybe you need a million, right? We don't know. That, that's years more of future. Uh, years in the future that we're going to be developing these. Um, I, I'm developing this inhalation unit because I don't like any of the ones that are currently on the market. There's one that you can H2, 0.99%. Um, now, above 70%, hydrogen isn't explosive or flammable, but you know they're going through a cantilever, right? And what if there's a leak? in the hose or anything, now that hydrogen's diffusing through the air around the person, well, the person sparks up a cigarette, right? Anything that can happen will happen, right? You know, if there's enough instances of it, right? You know, it's the, the saying, you know, when you think of infinity, if you put a monkey on a typewriter, in infinity, at some point that monkey will basically write out all of Shakespeare's pieces you know, spelling word perfect in chronological order, because anything that's possible will happen in infinity. If you get millions of people on these pure gas, you know, hydrogen inhalers, the time will come that one will explode, right? And, and you know, people could die. Even more dangerous than people are these hydroxy machines, that is, that is two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. Well, 33% oxygen, 67% hydrogen, that's an explosive. People are using it right now. So they're getting a, a, an adequate you know, dosage of hydrogen, probably getting therapeutic effects. But again, if millions of people are doing that, people will die. It's dangerous. So then a lot of the ones that are, are on the safe level don't have proper rates, right? Because when you give, say, studies and even some of the human studies, when it's 4% gas, well, the average person you know, inhales 5 to 8 liters of gas per minute. Right, so at 6.5 meters. If the flow rate is 4% at one meter, you're at you know one fifteenth of the required dosage and concentration because you're bringing the rest of your breathing. So we've been designing a unit to hit our specs that's safe and getting the proper dosage. And I suspect that it, it will be done, you know, once you see on the market to change your dosage. Right, maybe one day use inhalation, another day drink water. And we're also running for replicas. We have a case study under review for bathing in hydrogen water, topically. And for things like soft tissue injury, it, it is far more effective. Okay, great. Um, so I was excited to know where you were working on an inhalation system. That that is uh, really useful. So. Um, so why don't you, I'm still curious as to the final resolution of your initial health challenges and, you know, what your eventually got your CRP, I was, I'm assuming it's below one now, and then how long it took you to recover your health and, you know, what's your level of health today? So in a 
four day window, I was above 30 to under one. Right. And that's when actually the, the, you know, um, arthritis, hit. you know, as soon as my CRP dropped, it was days. My shoulder was frozen. Uh, but my CRP wasn't elevated anymore. My health actually got worse as I was working hundred plus hours a week, sleeping three, four or five hours a night. Um, my health was the worst, um, probably last January, but um, on top of hydrogen, I just started sleeping better. And it, it was interesting. Hydrogen was likely protecting me because I was 40 pounds heavier than I was right now. I had gained over 90 pounds, you know, from when I had my injuries. Um, but- uh, Oh, mass, that was visceral fat most likely. Yeah, it was, it was I mean, I'd lost muscle mass, right? You know, and, and gained that much weight. But my cholesterol was normal, my triglycerides were normal, my uh, fasting blood glucose was normal. Um, my blood pressure was normal at the time, but with the change guidelines is, you know, in the, the pre-hypertension stage back then. But um, just doing slight modifications uh, now, uh, I've dropped about 40 of the 90 pounds I gained. Uh, I'm not able to work out like I used to. I'm working out a little bit every day. I'm going for a walk every day. I'm doing several hundred body squats a day, just working out my core. I can't do anything upper body. I just had shoulder surgery and I, I probably need another one because um, I tore it, it looks like I tore my rotator cuff in rehab post surgery for my torn labrum and bone and bone arthritis. So dealing with that. But um, I'm also fasting. I actually kind of I, I switched. We talked about beer fasting protocol. So mm -hmm. I, I've been doing that for months. Um, actually, I fast 43 to 48 hours um, a week, every week. Mm -hmm. uh, but every fourth, I'm pushing it to 72. Okay. So what, what, have you know, what have you noticed by doing that? Um, so I dropped um, 40 pounds from February to August. I've stayed mm -hmm. constant since then. Um, I'm actually going to start playing around with my fasting a bit more because Fasting isn't bugging me. I, I tried three yeah. 43 hour ones this week. I didn't get hungry in any three. And despite going on that much of a deficit, I didn't lose a pound this week doing yeah. three days in the last Well, week. it's really going to be great for you to do this. And I would never recommend that amount of fasting for someone who is at a normal body weight or below body weight, because that's, that's a prescription for disaster. But for someone who has weight to lose like you because you had an injury, uh, or a health challenge, uh, that is magnificent. So you need to continue that. Uh, but are you doing time-restricted eating for the days that you are eating? So like you're yeah, yeah, restricting yeah. your eating window like two, three hours, four hours? Yeah, it's, it's between two to four hours, depending Perfect. on the day. Perfect. Yeah, you got it nailed, and, and your body's giving you the good feedback. So your sleeping's improving, you're losing the weight, you're, you're regaining your health. And uh, we'll have to talk offline about uh, some rehab exercises like the blood flow restriction training for your shoulder, which I think will be really, really helpful. And, and interestingly for you on all this stuff, my, my metabolism has recovered. I'm actually mm -hmm. consuming more calories now than I was at 265, at 225. So the so how many calories a day you have? About 3,500. Yeah, yeah. For how tall are you? Like 6'1"? I'm 5'11", but 5 okay. quite a bit of muscle mass yeah. on me. Um, but, uh, at 265, I was eating 2,200 and I wasn't, 
right? But I was pretty metabolically impaired now. Uh, even, you know, when I have like a, a cheat meal and maybe a little bit too much red wine, my fasting blood glucose doesn't budge between about 4.1 to 4.3 millimolars a liter, you know, yeah. when I wake up in the morning. Um, you know, regardless if I'm on a long fast or I had a couple bottles of wine the night before, you know, so my glucose is, is stabilized rock hard. Yeah, and that's a that's a great index that almost anyone can use. You can get these meters for as little as seven dollars, and the strips, if you buy them in bulk, are like thirty-five cents. So you don't have to go to the doctor; you can monitor yourself. And at a high glucose, and most of the people here are not using millimoles, although that technically is a more accurate way. But anything over a hundred, three, three, you know, three-digit, hundred milligrams per deciliter of glucose is way too high and you got to do some serious reevaluation of what your your program is i was at about 95 so mm -hmm. it was kind of like upper safe which um with you know the studies we have on that the um the one i think it was submitted last week maybe this week on met metabolic syndrome the six months 60 participants um with, with all this data and all the the data we have on metabolic syndrome i think i was being protected because gaining 90 pounds in that amount of time i was not watching what i ate i was yeah. working 100 hours plus a week i was not sleeping properly i was just realizing i hadn't eaten yet in the day and then ordering pizza and opening a bottle of wine that was yeah. my lifestyle right, so a a alex not intentionally because i didn't know this part of your story but you provide a great illustration example of the fallacy of the magic bullet. There is no question that molecular hydrogen is one of the best supplements I've ever encountered in my life. And I take it every day and I think I'll take it till I pass. But it's not a magic bullet. It needs to be integrated with, with other elements of a healthy lifestyle. And you weren't doing those and now you are. And now you're doing the fasting. Now you're doing the time-restricted eating. And you're, you're actually making wiser choices in the types of foods and your macros and your percentage of fats versus carbohydrates and and your whole body's responding to it but you're but you know the fortunately the mo it seems like the molecular hydrogen did save you from damage despite those unhealthy habits and we don't recommend anyone take <laughs> it while they're still having unhealthy habits they, they need to do everything at once it, exactly and that's actually what excites me the most about hydrogen it is one it's shown to have this protective effect this rescue effect in, in the data it shows that um the more damage someone has typically right the the more prominent hydrogen is working to bring them back to homeostatic function but on top of that what what excites me the most is hydrogen has shown not just to to cancel out and mitigate you know the stresses from other forms of hormesis because it seems to be a form of hormesis itself it seems to potentiate like exercise it works similar to exercise in very well controlled studies to actually increase the acute stress which is how exercise works to make us healthier but then it comes to this rescue effect right to, to uh, basically bring recovery faster right so you know, in this really controlled rat study, the, the, the rats were, were had higher stress, were swimming longer, but their oxidative stress spiked more, but their redox regulated faster and their inflammation was blunted. Uh, a really cool um, article I just read this weekend, it, it's under press right now, in press right now, so it should be online in a week or two. Uh, a week of loading on hydrogen followed by you know, some, some, I think they were uh, treadmill tests and sprint tests. 
um, showed a, a significant, um, or they might have been bikes. I can't, I can't recall. I read two studies that just came out over the weekend. Uh, it significantly improved exercise performance. But what was interesting is it significantly lowered IGF-1, whereas exercise raises IGF-1. So they performed better, but they had IGF-1 lowered. And this is pretty relevant in, in longevity, I think, because... Well, there's a lot of confusion on that because it depends on where the IGF-1 is being measured. If it's in the plasma, which was what, what typically where it's measured, that's one thing. And, and we know elevated... IGF-1 in the plasma will inhibit autophagy and has been shown to be counterproductive to longevity. But exercise, as you mentioned, increases IGF-1, but it increases it in the muscle, and that doesn't go out into the plasma. So, and that's where it needs to be. It needs, needs to work locally. And the IGF-1 produced by the liver typically uh, does not impact that, uh, the IGF in the, in the muscle. So there are two different and I, I haven't reviewed the study, so I would be cautious about reviewing that from that perspective. Yeah. The professor who, who is publishing it, uh, a few more questions about it. I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. Um, but there, there's a lot of interesting things we see in hydrogen. Um, yeah, but, but before we go there, I want you to go back to the basics because you've written this comprehensive review that will be published in the future. And you're probably one of the leading experts out there next to Tyler. <laughs> So, you know, it's, to me, it's fascinating the way this thing's worked. And you mentioned it's, it works by hormesis, and there's a delayed impact. So if you're going to go through an, an oxidative stress, like, you know, basically flying domestically across the country, you're not going to want to wake, take it as soon as you pop on, jump on the plane. You want to take it a few hours before, and that's because it has to go through this process where it actually activates the genes in the day to make to make your endogenous antioxidants like catalase superoxide dismutase and glutathione so why don't you walk us through that process yeah so um and, and i was going to say you, you probably not even just a few hours before it's probably best to load for a week before if you're not oh, doing really it. i was not aware of that so like say for instance before my surgery um, what i actually did is a month before i i did my cycle off because Every three to six months, I'll stop taking hydrogen and let all my joints seize and deprive my body of the exogenous hydrogen. Um, and then I, I change my dosing protocol to keep my body guessing. And it, it seems to kick things into gear. And it seems when in the past, when I had the same dosing protocol for a year, that things started seizing back up again. Interesting. Uh, hydrogen not working now. But then when I did a washout, period and changed it because I was thinking of it more like exercise at that point, um, I recovered again. You know, everything sort of loosening back up. Um, yeah. So you have a great biological parameter to follow. So rather than there's not really a test for it, but you're listening to your body and seeing what the benefits are. And, and I've been close to me to do the same. And, you know, family members, again, with various forms of arthritis and everything um, have all reported similar you know, that it wasn't really working, but when they wash out and they change their, their dose and timing, that they got the benefits back. And these are a lot of people who are on it for four years. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they just were stopping seeing benefits for it. But it seems that when you change up, you do a washout every few months, six months even, um, and then you change how you take it, that, that it seems to, to come back into that rescue effect. So what's the change in how are you taking it? You're increasing the concentration, the frequency, or what, what variables are you changing, uh, shifting? 
every time, every time I change it, sometimes I'll do it twice a day. Um, sometimes, uh, like some cycles, I'll do it twice a day, um, even three times a day I've tried and I, I seem to get similar benefits. Um, I'll go and change and have a higher concentration, lower dosage. Um, the last cycle I did, I, I was, you know, and I can't recommend this, you know, for people, um, cause it's, it's a lot of magnesium and a lot of hydrogen. I wouldn't recommend starting with this, but I dropped five, six tablets in six, 700 milliliters and chug it. Uh, then I changed to a protocol for a while that, um, so I that's a half, a little about a half a liter. Normally yeah. You would just put one, but you're putting five or six. Yeah. To get a, a big spike in concentration. And what do you, um, what do you, just curious, what do you think the milligrams were in that half a liter with five or six samples? Uh, so I was doing it more than half a liter, like six, 700 milliliters in the biggest month okay. I had. Um, probably close to 20 milligrams. It was a pretty okay. high, big, dose. Know, very big high dose. dose. But then other times I, I've switched and uh, I exercise five or six days a week. And I was only taking them on days I exercised five minutes before I exercise, which mm. is when we see the biggest benefit for exercise. We want to take it. Really? It's five minutes before? It's not an hour or two before? Yeah. yeah. Immediately before exercise is when it seems to have the biggest impact, especially on heart rate, you know, and, and, and modifying heart rate. So that that's interesting. Um, now I, I'm on a, a protocol where I have a, a 30 to 60 minute bath once a week right? And I'm actually doing a hybrid. So the day I take a bath, I don't drink the water. And um, days I'm not exercising, I do it in the morning. And days that I have an exercise planned or a long walk planned or something like that, uh, more than just the body squats, I get up and do about once every hour. I'll, you know, um, do 40, 50 body squats just to keep my body moving. Uh, I won't take it in the morning. I'll do it right before I do that. So I'm on a hybrid protocol right now. Um, and I've been doing it uh, about two months. So I'm curious about the baths. How many tablets are you putting in there? And, and how long does the hydrogen stay in the nanobubbles in the bath? I would have thought that it would have escaped into the air within a few minutes. So we know that topically uh, you need lower concentration. So I'm using a lot of tablets. Uh, you know, I'm using, so we, we've designed actually a bath tablet. It's a little bit bigger. Okay. It's a size of three. So I'm using those, um, and I'm, I'm using quite a number of them. Uh, I wouldn't recommend people use that amount every day or anything. If they're having a bath every day, uh, putting in about six of these bath tablets into a 60 liter bathtub seems to keep it at about 0.5 ppm. But in the literature, um, topical seems to work better for these skin issues and um, soft tissue in injuries because you have to remember it's working by getting and raising the cellular concentration. So if you're drinking it, you know, or inhaling it, it's diffusing through the whole body. You know, if you have a, a bruised up leg or something and you put it in the water, submerged in it, you're getting actually a lot higher concentration from the measurement. This tissue, sure. Acute area right into that acute tissue. Um, so I, I'm doing that. It, it's, um, you know, doing five, 600 body squats every day. My legs get pretty stiff by the end of the week. Uh, my hips do too, because I have arthritis in my left hip. Um, I've got arthritis in both knees too. But after this bath, um, I'm limber. 
you know, okay, interesting. We'll have to get some of the bath tablets in our store. <laughs> I wasn't aware that was even an option. They're they're kind of still in dev. They're not being marketed. Oh, okay. Or anything. Um, you know, I've, I've made them, but um, we're doing. We have a case study under review in a grade two ankle tear and a pro soccer player that is almost like magic, right? But that was a, a high dose. Um, it was the equivalent of a tablet for half a liter in a foot bath, and we have a full RCT, um, you know, randomized controlled trial comparing topical hydrogen to rice protocol in 20 pro soccer players. You know, as they're getting grade two ankle tears, it's ongoing. So the, the professors running that research, um, it, it looks likely, I mean, from the case studies anyways, because they did case studies on two participants, and RICE protocol does not have those effects. So we'll know better yeah, on the head test, but, you know, it's, it's looking pretty good. So how, when you're drinking, you put the tablet, one or two tablets in the water drinking orally, uh, how, for, how quickly should you drink it? And I've been instructing people to hold the glass up and see when the tablets completely dissolve because it's variable, primarily depending on the temperature that, of the water. So it could be a minute and a half, could be two minutes, it could be a minute, it really depends on how- If someone likes warm water. Yeah, 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 warm water could be 30 seconds. So, so, uh, so how do you, how, so assuming the tablets are all dissolved and is that the right way to do it, how long is it, is the hydrogen stable in the water to drink it? So you want to drink it as fast as possible, right? That's what I thought, yeah. We're, what we're doing um, is a novel way to get around something called Henry's Law, which describes how much gas can saturate in you know a container on varying amounts of pressure yeah so, definitely go there and maybe take this tangent now because normally you can only go to less than two milligrams per liter with a normal diffusion of hydrogen at, and at, you, you've, you've got to work around with these tablets yeah so you know NSATP, so that's you know the standard atmosphere and temperature and pressure that we have in our you know room you know on earth right now without ex yeah, it's at sea level yeah um, it's 1.57 ppm. Okay, so, okay. It is what, what is allowable. But um, nanobubbles don't operate under the same physics as larger bubbles do. And that's what I was mentioning. They're quasi-dissolved, and that's why the water is white, right? Mm -hmm. They're dissolved, the water goes clear, right? When you can see the bubbles are not dissolved. Um, so the water goes white because we're getting, you know, seven times more hydrogen than can dissolve in the water. Now, they won't dissipate until they go into the micron range, right? And, and they're as small as like 30 nanometer when you're drinking the water. So actually, this, this is kind of part of the genius in what we invented is as small as the bubbles go, it alters something called their zeta potential. And rather than wanting to coalesce, they kind of repel each other and resist coalescence. Now, on top of that, uh, all of these nanobubbles come with hundreds of PSI of internal pressure, right? And it acts kind of as a, a, an invisible container around it to further stabilize this. So we've actually measured the actual dissolved hydrogen, you know, under SAPP at closer to 3 ppm with no external pressure because we're getting that pressure from the nanobubbles. So it's mm. just more and more stable. And that's what the next couple thousand iterative adjustments were, was to, to spike 
you know, this, this nano cloud higher and get it more and more stable by going smaller and smaller um, bubble diameter um, at, at the right flow rate. When you do them too quickly, they actually coalesce too quickly. Like say you put a powder in, not only is it illegal, you know, when you drop powder with magnesium to make hydrogen, well, one company selling that are violating uh, OSHA regulations, the DOT, the FAA, they're shipping a hazardous material around to consumers, the accidents, explosions, but two, the reaction happens too fast, right? And you don't get the stable gas cloud. We need it to solid, solidify. It's kind of a, a time release, but it's a fast time release to make the bubbles at the right flow where it's going. Um, that said, ideally, you probably want to drink this around room temperature water, so it's dissolving closer to a minute, minute and a half. Um, from about a minute, minute and a half to six minutes, hitting an equilibrium. Uh, and uh, it's going to go from 10 down to 1.6, from a minute to six minutes, minute, minute and a half to six minutes. Between, a mi between about 45 seconds and a minute and a half, it's stabilized, you know, at, at about the 10 ppm. And then it's a, a slow slide down. So the faster you drink it, the better. But uh, even if you, you forget and you walk away, it, you haven't really wasted it because you're still getting 1.6 ppm, which is, you know, sometimes 16 times higher than these water ionizers that people buy five, for $5,000. And you're still getting the elemental magnesium because that doesn't dissipate. It's just the hydrogen that dissipates. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, this is just absolutely fantastic i'm just so excited we had the opportunity to spend some time and learn more about the details and your personal history and how you could serve as just a magnificent illustration of someone who though he even had the magic bullet still needed to benefit from these other powerful strategies of fasting and time-restricted eating which in my view are probably the two most powerful nutritional interventions aside from stopping drinking soda and juice fruit juice uh, you know, after that, then clearly time-restricted eating and then paying attention to your chronobiology and your sleep patterns because, it, it, I mean, it's very clear that you cannot be healthy without sleep. Sleep is almost as important as drinking water and eating. In fact, they deprive mice and rats for eight days and they're dead. That's it. I mean, they cannot live without eight days without sleep. They're dead. Yeah. That's why I monitor how much I sleep because... I tend to be able to function on three, four hours of sleep a day, and I've, I've gone months on that little sleep in the past. Yeah, but, you are hurting yourself. Exactly, right? So now, often I'll wake up after four or five hours and my mind's racing. Um, <laughs> I work and start doing things, but I'll listen to, you know, guided hypnosis to try yeah. and and do breathing need some meditation and here's another trick for you that i just learned i actually learned it from matthew walker uh because as you get older the tendency and the observation is that you're going to decrease your deep sleep it just seems to happen to almost everyone as they age but what works magnificently to counteract that is to to basically get yourself cold and i live in florida so and i have a pool full time so you know it comes late october november the water starts to get cold and it's down to 60 i mean the 70s and now it's in the 60s so i dump dump it, do a few laps of the pool right before i'm going to go to bed and i don't dry off i just let the water evaporate and my body core body temperature drops quite dramatically and my deep sleep is literally tripled or quadrupled 
Interesting. Yeah. So you know, you're now you don't have to swim in a pool. You could just take a shower, and even if it's a hot shower, just the water evaporating is going to take the the heat away from your your pore, and you'll cool down pretty rapidly. So I, why don't you should play with that and let me know with your aura data. But I think you're going to see a big improvement in your deep sleep. No, I, I, I get I get a lot of deep sleep actually. So well, I, it's I, not a big deal for you. Almost all my sleep is deep in REM. I, I have very little light sleep. Um, all summer, spring, fall, I tend to run an air conditioner, right, to keep my bedroom cold. In the winter, I actually switch it, um, and I stop being cold at night, and I am cold for at least six hours a day in the early morning, right? So um, I do my body squats, and I, I've got a, a Muay Thai bag on my patio. I go out barefoot, especially when it's a little bit of snow and frosting, and I, I get cold. I leave my windows open in my home office and I'm just cold for about six hours a day and then I turn the heat on right and, and it's actually important um there's been some really cool research in, in pigs which are very close to humans that show if you're very cold for even eight hours a day right there's benefits in bioenergetics fat oh sure things you're gonna brown adipose tissue increases exactly. you know mitochondria biogenesis pgc1 alpha it's crazy but if you're a little bit cold all day long the reverse Really? Yeah. It, it negatively impacts bioenergetics. You develop more white adipose tissue, right? So um, th that's been some cool trials in the last couple of years in pigs showing that um, a stronger cold, you know, and, and uh, we're not talking about like super strong going like, you know, minus 270, like the, the cryo chambers for three minutes. We're talking four hours, eight hours of being just cold, you, you know, like, uh, but if they're cold all day long, they gain weight, their health. Yeah, why would you, why would you want to do that? You wouldn't. You wouldn't want to okay. be cold all day. But um, it, it's uh, interesting stuff because you don't have to get, it seems, super cold. You no. Just chill. So I'll have a, uh, you know, in the wintertime, you know, it's getting to that point now. I have a cold shower in the morning. Mm -hmm. Go and start doing my exercises. You know, as I'm doing my exercises throughout the day, I just go out barefoot onto my patio. And I do it yeah. on my right? And I just keep the windows open. So I'm just uncomfortable for about six hours a day. Yeah, that's good. I mean, temperature, uh, playing with temperature is another important variable you can use to improve your health. And it sounds like you're doing a good job on it. All right. So we should probably sign off. And uh, I want to thank you for everything you're doing, for your diligence, your perseverance, uh, and persistence, and putting together a product that really works, that just kicks butt and helping improve people's health and help them take control of their health. And it's such an, an unbelievable innovation to really help us you know, regain our ability to be optimally healthy. So thank you for all that. No problem. Thank you very much for having me.